Hey, it's great to be here today with you. I'm Pastor Brian, and we're starting a new series, a six-weeker called The Jesus Way, and this is a series I've had in my mind for a long time, and I'm, I'm really excited. Pastor Eric has helped a lot with prepping this series. What we're doing in the series, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles, and what we're going to be doing throughout this whole series is we're talking about something called the six antitheses. Everyone say antitheses. Yeah, antitheses, the six antitheses in the Bible. Now, if you've read the Bible before, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew before, you probably didn't know that they were called the six antitheses, but it's the part in the Bible where Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that the law says one thing, and that's what we have on the left here in gray, But Jesus says, but I tell you this other thing, and then that's what we have on the right. So we're going to be looking over these next six weeks at the fact that the law says don't murder or don't commit adultery or a man can divorce or don't break your vows or the revenge thing, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, or hate your enemies. So this is this whole section in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, you've heard this one thing, but I tell you this other thing. Now, I want to make sure that you understand, before we even get into this first one, we're going to talk about murder today. Um, so, you know, we, I just want to make sure that you walk out of here determined not to murder. Um, that's important. We don't talk about murder enough here at Alpine Church. No, we're going to actually see that Jesus, Jesus is going to go somewhere else. He, he, he goes somewhere deeper with the commandment. But I want to make sure that you understand something about this before we jump in. Because you might think of, you might look at this and say, okay, so is Jesus saying that the law is bad? Is Jesus saying that the Old Testament law, which we have right here in our Bibles, you know, is he saying that this stuff right here in the Old Testament, that God was like, ooh, I, I'm going to need a mulligan. I, I didn't mean any of that stuff. That wasn't, let me try again. And so then the New Te- Jesus comes and we have the New Testament. And it's, some people might think at the surface level that Jesus is saying that the Old Testament's bad, that the, old, that the law is bad, that the law is wrong, or that he's replacing the law or that he's nullifying the law. He's saying that the law doesn't matter anymore, that the law doesn't count anymore. Some people might think that that's what he's saying. And I want to make sure that you understand what Jesus said about that even before he got into these six antitheses. He said this in Matthew 5, 17 to 18. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. He said, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I didn't come to get rid of them. I didn't come to abolish the law. I'm not trying to tell you the law is bad or you don't have to worry about the law anymore. He says, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to accomplish their purpose. He says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So even as we go through this every every week, and there's going to be so much you're going to gather from this. I've been having a, a really good time studying this and and preparing this with the other pastors here at church. But even as we go through all these, I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus isn't saying in this that the left side is bad. What he's saying is that the left side points, all of this points forward to the way of Jesus. That's why we're calling the series The Jesus Way, because what he's saying is this whole thing, this whole book, this whole Bible, All of this points forward to the way of Jesus. All of it is fulfilled in Jesus. 
all of it was written with Jesus in mind. All of it was written with the New Testament in mind and Jesus fulfilling it in mind. In fact, there are a lot of times in Scripture, where, in the Gospels, where Jesus says to the people, he says, it is written such and such. And he's talking about what's written down in the, in the Old Testament law. He says, it is written, and Jesus knew the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. Jesus understood, he understands not just the words on these pages, Jesus understands the intents, the intention of the words. See, it's really easy to read words and get into this, get, get into this letter of the law mentality as Christians. It's easy to get into the letter of the law mentality. And Jesus wants us to go beyond the letter of the law. He wants us to understand what it's really all about. Another way to say that is the spirit of the law. He wants us to understand the spirit of the law. That doesn't mean we break the letter of the law, by the way. I know a lot of people say, I'm just, I'm following the spirit of the law. Usually what that means is that because they're breaking the letter of the law. Jesus isn't telling us to break the letter of the law. He's telling us to make sure that we're interpreting the intention properly. When Jesus said in other places in the gospel, he says, you've heard or he says, it is written, such and such. In, in the antithesis, he doesn't say, it is written that the law says. Here's what he says. I want you to hear this. He says, you have heard what the law says. In other words, Jesus is talking about the interpretation of the law. He's not talking about what was written. He was talking about how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, how they interpreted all this stuff and they missed the whole point. It is easy to go to church and to read your Bible and, in fact, to commit a lifetime to doing that. This is what the Pharisees did. It's easy to do that and miss what it's all about. And we're not going to do that today. We want to make sure that we're reading this and really catching God's drift. We want to make sure we're reading this and we're really understanding what he's trying to say to us and how it applies to our everyday lives. We don't want to just be these surface Christians who, who put on our Sunday best. And, you know, our Sunday best isn't as good as some churches. i, I got to admit that, you know. And we, love that, we love that you can wear jeans to church and wear shorts to church and wear flip-flops to church. All that stuff is great. But we want to make sure that we don't miss what God is really trying to get at for us and how he wants us to apply this to our lives. And so that's what Jesus is doing in these six antitheses. And it's really an interesting series because it covers all kinds of kind of, in my, in my opinion, it's kind of random topics. The first couple are going to, he's talking about the Ten Commandments and then some of the other ones, he's talking about some obscure stuff like not making vows. What was that about? Why did that make his list of six things that he wanted to talk about? It's going to be really interesting as we go through this series. But today we're going to start on a real practical topic and we're calling the lesson today Anger Management the Jesus way of anger management. And so here's why. It's because this first antithesis, Jesus says this, you have heard that our ancestors were told. Notice he doesn't say it is written. He says you've heard that our ancestors were told. So he's talking about the way that it's come across to them in the oral tradition. He says you've heard that the ancestors were told you must not murder, and if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. 
I want you, before we go on in this message, I want to make sure you're in the right frame of mind to hear from the Spirit of God what he wants to speak to you about this. I want you to get in your mind somebody that you're angry with this morning. Maybe, maybe it's really fresh in your mind because you just drove over here. I don't know. I, re- I remember growing up, we would, my dad was always like a get-to-church-on-time kind of guy, and, but they had five kids. And so usually there was anger in the minivan on the way. No, there weren't minivans back then. On the st- in the station wagon on the way. How many of you had a station wagon? Uh, thank you. Young people, you could ask the people raising their hand what that even means, but there was, there was anger in the station wagon oftentimes on the way to church. I remember that. It's, it's, sometimes the church routine is hard. Can I get an amen? Getting all the kids ready for church is hard. Can I get an amen? I remember one, one morning at church growing up, I saw a woman walking through the lobby of the church in her slip. She had so many kids, she forgot to put her dress on. Doesn't that sound like a nightmare, by the way? That's like a nightmare. Anyway, I digress. Think about, think about who you're angry with. And, and I want you to think about what anger's all about. Anger, one of the reasons you're angry or one of the things that you want out of your anger is you want to make them pay. You want to make them pay for something they did to you or something they did to somebody else. Maybe it's really serious. Maybe it's a really deep wound. Maybe it's, maybe it's a more of a surface wound like a Sunday morning thing. But I want you to think about who you're angry at right now because I think it's important to get that in your head so that Jesus' words can have the full effect today. Because Jesus is saying this, your ancestors were told you shouldn't murder, but Jesus says, I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about anger. See, murder is just the tip of the iceberg for anger. Jesus is trying to communicate that there's something more that lurks beneath the surface when it comes to murder. Now, we drew this out for you. I'm kind of a visual learner, so think about this. Here's here's murder. It's sort of the, the ultimate expression of anger. Most of us, thank God, will never ever have to experience this. And so that's why I think a lot of people are like, when they read the Ten Commandments, they're like, okay, good, I can check that one off because I, I've, I've never murdered anybody and I have no plans to murder anybody. And so Jesus is saying, well, not so fast. Because there's something beneath that that's common to all of us, and it's anger. And he gives a couple of expressions of that. Let's just kind of put these on the on the picture here so that you can see where these, where these land as far as the surface goes. He says, he says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Now, just a quick little show of hands. How many of you have ever called anybody an idiot? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, good. You can lower your, that's good. Thank you. I think that was everybody. It should have been everybody. Or we'll do a thing on, on lying next week. <laughs> and just a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever murdered anybody? Just a quick little show of hands. Just a couple people have murdered somebody, okay. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty on those. Okay, see, a lot fewer hands went up on murder than on calling somebody an idiot. That's Jesus' point. He's saying, look, it's actually all related. 
All, all of this, murder, murder has at root anger, and it's the same thing at the very root of it. It's the same thing as if you called somebody an idiot. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that maybe we're not all as innocent as we think we are. So we get these degrees of sin, and sometimes, sometimes we just like to say, well, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm not that bad, right? That's how we play games with our sin. I'm not that bad. I'm not like murder bad. But Jesus is saying it's actually all it's just degrees, it's varying degrees. And then he gives another example in this antithesis. He says, and this is, a, I'm going to put this below the surface. He says, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be below the surface. When I'm talking about the surface, I'm just talking about being observable by somebody else. Like, somebody usually can tell if you call somebody an idiot. Usually they can, somebody heard it, you probably said it to them. So that's kind of above the surface. Typically when you murder somebody, typically they recognize that they've been murdered, you know? Like that, that one is above the surface. But cursing someone isn't always above the surface. Cursing someone sometimes is something that is just in your heart. In fact, young people, your, your parents might not even know it, what's in your heart. Husbands, your wife might not even know what's really in your heart. Wives, your husband might not know what's in your heart. If, you're ang- if that person that you have in your mind is someone from work, they might not even know it. Maybe you've never even called them an idiot to their face. But in your heart, you've cursed them. In your heart, or maybe even under your breath a little bit, you've cursed them. And so this is one of those, this is one of those things that for me, this kind of, hits a little bit closer to home because it makes me, this is what Jesus is trying to get us to do. He's, he's trying to help us to look a little bit more inward. He's trying to help us to be a little bit more self-aware about our sin, in particular our anger. He, he's trying to get us to look in the mirror and say, maybe I, maybe I do have a murder problem. Now, we don't call it murder, but isn't it, that's, what do we, we, we curse somebody or we call them names, is, that's called character assassination. It's interesting and Jesus is basically saying it's like, it's, like, it's like murder. It's another form of murder. I mean, these are some pretty intense words that Jesus has to say here. And then, he, and then he, he does something in this section in Matthew 5. He does something in this section that, honestly, I'd never noticed before until I started studying a month or so ago for this message. I'd never, I'd never noticed that Jesus was making an observation that, modern pop psychology makes about the problem here or maybe about the solution here. See, Jesus is going to tell us that the key to victory over anger is to see yourself as the offender, not the offended. Let me explain that before I show you how he, how he explains it. When, when we have an anger problem with someone, what are we doing? Think about the person that you're angry with. When, you have an, when you're angry at someone... It's so hard to get out of what we call get out of your box. It's so hard to get out of your box and see the situation that you're angry about. It's so hard to see that situation through their eyes, isn't it? Here's how we're all wired. Let's just be honest. Here's how every human being is wired. When we have interpersonal interactions with somebody, we're wired to think about that interaction from our point of view, right? We're wired to see our feelings first. We're wired, 
We're wired to think about how we've been hurt, how we've been offended. It's very, very rare to find somebody who thinks about somebody else before they think about themselves. Isn't that true? I know that's true for most of the people I've met. And I know that that's true in my own heart too. I have, I immediately, when Tracy and I are having a conversation, that's what we call it, it's not an argument. When we're having a conversation about something, a heated conversation about something, I'm gonna look at it just naturally. I'm gonna look at it from my point of view. I'm gonna kind of get in my own little box and I'm just gonna think about that thing from my perspective. It's so hard for me to think about it from her perspective. And she's gonna oftentimes do the same thing. Her first reaction is to think about it from her perspective. And so then what happens is we're both kind of in our boxes. We're kind of in our, in the, in the different corners of the boxing ring, right? And we're just preparing for the offense. We're preparing for the battle. Or we have this self-talk that is justifying the way we view it. You get angry, let's be honest, you get angry about something and there's something about that you almost, you almost want the other person to do something that justifies the anger that you feel for, toward them. You, you kind of want, you want to feed that anger. You don't really want to resolve it. You want to feed it. You, you, there's something about most of us where we like, we like to sort of feel a little bit like the victim. And what Jesus is telling us is, if you want to have victory over anger, this is the Jesus way of doing relationships, by the way. If you want to have victory over anger, you have to learn to see yourself as the offender, the one who actually should be ang- they should be angry at, not you should be angry at them. Here's how Jesus says it. You think I'm making this up. I'm telling you, this is Jesus. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Now hold on a second. I thought, it's, I thought you're the one who's angry. Shouldn't you have something against someone else? Shouldn't, shouldn't, this is what I'm expecting when I'm reading this. I'm expecting to say, and so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, in fact, I've used this in my whole life. We've talked about this going to church or, or coming for prayer and, and really kind of, like reconciling with someone else. And every time I've ever thought about this antithesis, I've always, I've actually misunderstood what Jesus was saying this whole time. All these years, I've misunderstood what Jesus was saying. I thought I was coming to the altar mad at someone else. Do you see what Jesus is saying? No, you're coming to the altar and someone else is mad at you. You're not the offended party. You're not the victim you're the perpetrator. You did something to them, and they're mad at you. And Jesus is saying, in this case, you should leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. And then you can come and offer your sacrifice to God. So what he's saying is, your relationship with somebody else actually impacts your relationship with God. Isn't that true? The way you interact with somebody else in your life, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your, your coworker, your boss, whatever, the way that you interact with somebody else actually has an impact on your relationship with God. It, he's saying that this, this horizontal field of play, this, these horizontal relationships impact this vertical relationship, which is why this is probably his first antithesis, is he wants to make sure we understand this. See, here's what the Expositor's Bible 
commentary says about this, we're more likely to remember when we ourselves have something against others than when we have done something to offend others. Isn't that true? Can we just be honest about that? I rarely sit around and say, how have I offended somebody else? How have I been a jerk to my wife today? Or this week? Or for the last 20 years? It's very unnatural for us to think about how we've offended someone else, but boy, is it natural for us to think about how someone else has offended us. And we get that in our head, and we get that in our heart, and we hold on to that, and it builds up, and it builds up, and pretty soon we're cursing them in our heart, or we're calling them an idiot to their face. It's so easy to do that. But if we're truly concerned about anger and hate, then we should be no less concerned when we engender anger and hate in others. In other words, when we do things to make someone angry at us. I want you to think about the person you're angry at right now. I want you to think about that situation. And I want you to try something that's very unnatural indeed. I want you to think about it from their perspective. Think about how they feel. Do they have a, what kind of emotion do they have toward you? Now, I know that there are some cases where you're genuinely the victim and some other person did something horrible and unforgivable to you. I understand that that's going to be the case for some people. But for many of us in here, you've never even thought about their perspective on it. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. He goes on in verse 25. When you're on the way to court... With your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, look at this, otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. See what's happening again? Jesus is saying, he's not saying otherwise you as the accuser will hand the other person over. And No, he's saying once again, you're the perpetrator. He's saying once again, You're the problem, not the other person. Jesus is calling us to look at it on the flip side. He's calling us to address some of those relational issues and and that anger that we have in our heart. He's calling us to say, I want you to stop and, and think about, consider the other person. I want you to think about it from their point of view, not just from yours. See, the way of Jesus goes beyond anger to this thing that we see in this passage that's called reconciliation. And if you don't do it, then you'll be the one paying the price. At the beginning today when I said, I want you to think about who you're angry at and how you want to make them pay, think about it. That's what you're trying to do with your anger is in anger you're trying to make them pay. You want them to pay for some wrong that they committed against you. But Jesus' whole point in this teaching is the fact that they might make you pay, that you might be the one paying. In fact, that's how it works with anger. Your anger, your bitterness in your heart, if you think about it, you're gonna be the one that pays for it, not the other person. If you don't learn to reconcile, if you don't learn to forgive, then you'll pay the price. The other person's not gonna pay the price. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna pay the price if you don't forgive, if you don't reconcile. Jesus says that we need to be the ones 
who do everything we can do to be reconciled. Reconciliation just means that you come together and that you have peace with one another, that there's no longer enmity between you. There's no longer this barrier, this wall between you. And so Jesus says, verse 26, if that happens, he's talking about failure to reconcile, if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Your anger makes you pay, not them. So let's go back before we finish. Let's go back and take a look at our iceberg image once again because there's something that you might have missed in this. When we talked about name calling, remember what he said about that? He said, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. He says, this is, this is how you're going to pay. You're going to be in danger of being brought before the court. He's saying, there are going to be some places, there are going to be some times when your anger, you end up paying for your anger in the court of law. Think about how that, maybe parents with your kids, talk about that. Talk about some examples that you have of that, where someone is paying for their anger in the court of law. That We're talking about this temporal justice that we have, that there's some anger that's above the surface anger that you'll end up paying for. But the scary one is the next one. When he talked about cursing, he says if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Because I think here's what he's saying. No court of law can prosecute someone for something that's in your heart. No court of law can see that. You can't see, they can't see what's in the heart. They can't prosecute you for that. They can only prosecute you for the stuff that's on the surface, the stuff that they can point to that they said you did this or you did that. They can't, they can't really say anything about what you thought or how you felt. And this is what Jesus is getting at is that the thing that lurks beneath the surface, the anger that lurks beneath the surface is the very thing that God still sees even though nobody else does. God knows it. God knows what's in our heart. God recognizes the blackness in all of our hearts. And he says, if you curse someone, you're in dangers of the fire of, fires of hell. That's like a spiritual consequence to not being reconciled. That's a serious consequence. In fact, in the next chapter, Jesus makes it even more clear. He says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. Because I have met zero murderers in my life. But I have met so many people who are unforgiving. I've met, in my life, I've met so many people who have bitterness and anger in their hearts and they guard that, they hold that in their hearts. And what Jesus would say, well, he says, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. There's a connection between what, what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our relationship with God. And I wanna just urge you today, if you're here today and, and you are angry at somebody, I would, I would just urge you, I would urge you to reconcile with that person. Now that doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. That doesn't mean you need to be best friends. Forgiveness is different than friendship. 
You can forgive someone and still, have a, still set up a healthy boundary in that relationship with them. But I would encourage you, if you need to reconcile with somebody, to do it. Don't wait. Forgive. Don't let that, that root of anger, which is the root of murder, don't, don't let that fester and grow in your heart. Be reconciled to people. And I want to just say one more thing. I want you to think about who you may have angered. You know, there's two sides to this, right? So number one is maybe you need to go and forgive someone and you need to be reconciled. But number two, maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to think about that situation where you recognize that there's this, there's this clash, there's this adversarial relationship you have with somebody else and you've, you've, the reason you haven't reconciled is because you've only been in your box and you've only thought about it from your vantage point Maybe by God's Holy Spirit, he's going to convict your heart to think about it from, someone else, from that other person's vantage point. And maybe you need to be the bigger person, and you need to just come and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I think that's hard for many people to do. Prob- maybe it's a guy thing, but maybe not. Maybe it's a guy and a girl thing. I know in our relationship, in my relationship with Tracy, she's a much bigger person than I am. She is so much better at saying I'm sorry. And it's not just because she's the only one who's wrong. <laughs> Honestly, so, I mean, just in years of our marriage, when we're at each other, I don't know. I just didn't have it in me to say I'm sorry for the, for the longest time in, my, in our marriage. But she did. And I can tell you, every single one of our, every single one of our uh, clashes in our marriage was two-sided. It never was 100% my fault or 100% her fault. Never. Not one time. Not one time. But for the first 10 years, I always made her say I'm sorry first. And that's, I'm ashamed of that. And maybe some of you in here, you're like that. You're like me and the Fonz, you know? <laughs> Anybody? You're the Fonz couldn't say I'm sorry. That was just something he, he was cool, but he couldn't, look it up, happy days. He couldn't, he couldn't say I'm sorry. Some of you, some of you are like that. And I get it because that's how I've been. And God has been changing my heart. Be the bigger person and go to that person and say, I'm sorry. And you know what? The more you do it, the easier it is to do. And you can have reconciliation. That's the Jesus way. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do in our hearts. God, that we would recognize murderous thoughts and murderous intentions. God, that we would acknowledge that we have this thing lurking beneath the surface. I'm sure every single one of us does. And I pray, God, that you would make us peacemakers, that you would make us reconcilers, Lord, that we would look to heal and mend relationships. God, that we would see ourselves not just as the victim, but that we would see ourselves as the perpetrator. God, that we would live life the Jesus way. And God, that as we do that, that you would set us free. And God, we want that. We want freedom. I pray that you would give it to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen.